Today on Podcast by the Bay, an exclusive interview with the Chief Communications Officer of the San Mateo County Transit District, also known as SAMTRAMS, Seamus Murphy. What we need is more cooperation on the service and operation side. Things like time transfers and making sure that you don't have to wait uh, for a long time when you're transferring between systems. There's a lot of room for improvement there, and I think you're going to see that when we electrify Caltrain. Who discusses current projects within Caltrain's, Samtram's bus service, and Ready Wheels, and also updates on the project to improve traffic congestion on the 92 101 interchange. 92 101, that interchange has to be improved. There's some alternatives for improving it to increase traffic flow and to make it easier for our public transit options to transition through uh, those interchanges, which will increase ridership on transit and will help incentivize congestion reducing alternatives for a lot of drivers. All on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by. Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another episode of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us and for joining us and downloading this episode from the iTunes, from the Stitcher, from the Podbean, and from wherever you get your podcast. We definitely appreciate you being with us and for being here and spending your time with us today. And so, Patrick, today we actually have an exclusive interview with one of the main, I would say, uh, people that deals with transportation on the peninsula. And this is Seamus Murphy. And maybe you can kind of explain to the audience who Seamus Murphy is and what he represents as far as transportation and what agencies he actually oversees and how he really affects uh, transportation on the peninsula. Well, you know, first of all, I, I met Seamus Murphy at a... Um transportation seminar that was put on by the uh, city of Foster City at the rec center and it was to include San Mateo and it was quite quite inviting I had an opportunity to listen to Seamus Murphy Seamus Murphy uh, technically is a public affairs public policy and strategic communications for the San Mateo County Transit District He's a graduate of the University of Colorado. He's been with the uh, district for all, two years and maybe seven months. Um, he's very, very knowledgeable, very skilled in talking about what is happening between the Caltrans, between the BARS, the SAM trams, and what's happening. He's a very, very, very busy guy. Um, he's, he's, um, his office is located in San Carlos at the Sam Tram building, very, very secure building. It's like going into a courthouse. Um, I've been, uh, tracking down Seamus for probably almost a month and a half. Um, he just came back from Washington, D.C., um, and he had an opportunity to tell me what's happening back there. As you know, the infrastructures across the United States, meaning our highways and freeways and everything else, are deteriorating. Uh, and there's a push, as you know, our president is also trying to push that we redo our roads and redo our public transportation. Uh, we had a very, very spirited discussion. Uh, the, the nice thing about Seamus Murphy is is that he has visited some of the surrounding cities with some of the the problems. I think for our viewers, we have to understand we do not have a transit district. We have we have each city and each whether it's Sam Trams or whether it's Bart, whether it's Caltrans, um, they are serving each individual city. Um, there is no really plan or 
collaboration between surrounding cities. That doesn't mean they have they don't have um, ideas on how they should work together. But again, just as a, a simple example, um, Foster City has the east-west situation, which is the corridor of the bottleneck of transportation. Um, I had a great opportunity to interview uh, Rick Bonilla, and he's, he wants to work with Foster City. We don't even have a commuter lane coming out of Foster City, which would make it easier for some of the people that would like to take uh, the, the train in the morning. So we had a spirited discussion. Um, he was very proud of of of, of the um, card that they have out there, which is the one. Uh, what, what do they call that uh, card again? The Clipper uh, card. The Clipper card. The Clipper card. We uh, the Clipper card um, is something that is working or interfacing with other transportations, whether it's Caltrain or BART. Um, I was fortunate enough um, uh, after. I talked with um, Seamus to have an interview with Mayor Gina Pappen. She told her challenges um, that BART does not go to the uh, airport as often as it needs to do. Um, and I, I would encourage our listeners to go ahead and listen to Gina Pappens as well as listen to uh, Seamus Murphy. Um, it's, he's he's a, a bright young guy. Uh, he's got a future with it, and he sees the challenges before the transportation district. Um, I asked him some direct questions and what he would feel uh, could be some solutions. But at the end, I think that he did agree that we need a better collaboration with surrounding cities. And the question is, do we need a transit district? Um, I know some people are opposed to transit districts. Um, they think it's more bureaucracy, but I think we all live on the peninsula and we all need to coordinate the 101, the 92. We talked about Facebook's um, working on the Dumbarton Bridge and how uh, Facebook put up a million dollars to research and see how it, whether the feasibility. Um, I even had an opportunity to talk with him about some hovercraft, um, Andre, and he talked a little bit about some hovercraft and, and docking systems and maybe we will see that on the bay, maybe something from Redwood City. Um, I did speak with, um, when I did speak with somebody, uh, the mayor in, in Brisbane, he told me on how efficient the, uh, the, the ferry system works and how the ferry system from South San Francisco into the Bay Area is working real well. So with that, I want you to really listen closely to Seamus. I want your feedback. I want you guys to get engaged in this discussion because it's all about us. It's, a, it's about everybody on the peninsula. And to our, all of our listeners that haven't heard the Gina Pappen, the mayor Gina Pappen of Milbrae, uh, discussing the transportation issue, it's actually a very fascinating interview, uh, exclusive interview with, uh, with Gina. And she really highlights a lot of the integration issues between the organizations and the transportation uh, segment. So... I think that you actually bring up a couple great points. And you mentioned there's a lot of city by city, um, I think, uh, oversight with kind of how they're managing the transportation. But there's really not a regional issue. And I think all of us would agree the traffic has exploded in the last 10 years, right? It's 80% worse now than it was 10 years ago. Most of the people, there's been a mass exodus from the Bay Area, from the peninsula, because of the housing crisis, the affordable housing crisis, and really the prices that are just the families cannot keep up. So what do they do? They move to the East Bay. They move out to Tracy. They move to Modesto, Manteca, Stockton, wherever they can really afford. And what are they doing now? They're tra traveling. They're commuting two and a half hours, three hours just to get to work each way. And so this has happened. Andre, 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 I might highlight that Mayor Gina Pappen, in a real crucial vote, recently voted against the housing corridor transportation thing because there was no transportation plan. Not that she was opposed to housing, but there was no plan to coordinate more transportation or improve transportation on that area down there that they just approved by the city council on a three to two vote. So Gina speaks for the people and she speaks for her concern about the transportation or the lack of coordination of the transportation. She also highlighted the squeaky wheels of BART talking about the, the, the wheels and BART are so squeaky because they don't clean the track. So I don't know if that's true, but that was what Gina said. Exactly. And I think she highlights the, the transportation, the, the lack of regionalizations. And I think as 
a, a peninsula as a bay area we actually have to start looking at this picture from a bigger scope because all the agencies need to be involved the santa clara agencies right sam trams uh you know the east bay the north bay everybody needs to be part of this solution and recognize that if we're going to really address transportation and traffic and some of these bigger issues everybody needs to be involved it's not just a city by city it's not even just county because most of the people that are coming in are coming from way out they're coming from three counties away just to get here to work so i think that's really highlights the problem and so i think seamus you know hopefully he can kind of uh you know shed some light on what what the current situation is and maybe what some of the plans are but um Anyway, so that's really kind of my kind of question is, you know, how are we going to do this moving forward? Because I think that currently it's just I think we're reacting. We're we're reacting to what we've seen in the last, you know, 10 years. And we actually recognize there's a bigger problem coming. And, you know, and I think you bring up a good points. What's going to happen? We have to look at the base solution. I think ferry, right? Ferry. Ferry is a great opportunity. I mean, um you know, hovercraft. I mean, there's there's all these going to have to be new ideas on how to actually approach this this problem of traffic because sitting in traffic for three hours this is not cutting it. I mean, you know, so that's that's kind of my feedback on it. And um, so anyways, Patrick, why don't we get down to the Seamus interview? I think it's a fascinating interview and a, and it really highlights kind of what we're dealing with here on the peninsula with traffic and 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 a lot of the issues and i think uh you know we appreciate you reaching up and following up with Seamus to really get this exclusive interview with someone that's really is in the public eye who speaks on these issues and has to really represent on the transportation and traffic issues here on the peninsula so with that we're going to go ahead and get to the Seamus Murphy interview and we'll catch you on the next time of podcast by the bay so with that this is Andre and this is Patrick and we'll catch you on the next time a podcast by the bay. Stay tuned. Good morning. This is uh, Patrick with Podcast by the Bay. I have the great opportunity to interview Seamus P. Murphy. He's the Chief Communication Officer. He's really, really a busy guy, so I feel very honored to have the opportunity to interview him on public transportation. Uh, Seamus, why don't you give us a little background about yourself? Sure. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm the Chief Communications Officer for the San Mateo County Transit District. And at the district, we have the responsibility of administering the county's transportation programs, including our fixed route SamTrans bus service and paratransit service. Uh, we also are the managing agency in charge of operating the region's Caltrain service between San Francisco and San Jose. And we administer a half-cent sales tax in San Mateo County that goes towards a variety of different investments in transportation improvements around the county, including highways and streets and roads and transit and bicycle and pedestrian improvements and a whole host of others. Uh, so these are challenges that are at the forefront of people's minds these days, and we're happy to be able to provide some solutions however we can. For, for our listeners, could you give us a little background? Where are you from originally? Uh, well, I'm, I'm sort of from all over. I uh, grew up in Dallas, Texas, and Colorado, went to college in New York at NYU, and spent my summers in San Francisco with uh, my dad, uh, and came out after college uh, to live in the Bay Area, uh, and uh, still do live in San Francisco today. Okay, and how long have you worked for uh, uh, the transit district here? Uh, I've been here since 2009, uh, left the private sector when... The voters approved Prop 1A, uh, which was a ballot measure uh, designed to, uh, uh, to create a new high-speed rail service uh, throughout the state. And I thought, what a good opportunity to make sure San Mateo County gets what we need to get out of that investment. You know, I know you've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks back in Washington. What's happening? We're going we're gonna to go from the Washington perspective, and then we're going to go back into the local issues here, too, facing San Mateo County. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's really come full circle. I think uh, in in 2009, almost 10 years ago, when uh, I started work in this area, uh, there was there was real federal opportunity. Uh, we had a, an Economic Recovery Act uh, that the Obama administration shepherded in. 
that created a bunch of multimodal grant programs and funding opportunities for local and regional transportation improvements. And, uh, and we were able to take advantage of some of that. And so were other communities around the, the country. And the federal opportunity has really been stagnant uh, since then. It's, uh, we've been playing defense at the federal level, trying to make sure that we're preserving and holding on to the transportation funding that exists there today. Little opportunity to expand funding at the federal level. And at the state level, it's sort of been the opposite. Uh, we've uh, just approved uh, a new gas tax uh, that creates billions of dollars uh, in transportation investment every year around the state and uh, discretionary programs that uh, San Mateo County and the peninsula really are poised to take advantage of. We have some unique opportunities at the state level that I think will be very exciting. What is the, what is the, uh, the struggle with uh, Washington back there? Is that more about an issue of not wanting to give us federal tax dollars for transportation or what seems to be the problem? Well, tax issues are always complicated and never more complicated than they are at the federal level. Um, We've had a a gas tax that hasn't been increased in decades uh, at the federal level, and the, it's not funding uh, the improvements that uh, we need to fund uh, nationwide. Uh, it's, not, it's not enough money to maintain our existing street, road, highway infrastructure. It's not enough money to maintain our existing transit systems. And the buying power of the federal gas tax is getting weaker uh, every year because vehicles are getting more efficient. Uh, now we have electric vehicles that don't pay anything into Uh, the Highway Trust Fund, uh, which is where all of our transportation dollars uh, originate uh, from that tax. Well, I know we had a, a, probably about, this is way before you were here, we had a a problem with about 15 years ago, uh, that same thing with talking about the gas tax. And the gas tax, um, we were supposed to get a portion of that gas tax to improve the roads, okay, and improve the highways. And collectively, what the cities did is, is they sued the state of California, they put an amendment together that forced the state of California to make sure that mo- part of that money that was going into the general budget was ex- put out there for the roads. Mm-hmm. For our listeners, kind of explain um, the, how much federal tax is coming and what is being spent on the state, because you bring up the most interesting point. Everybody's complaining about the potholes, uh, the infrastructure. So kind of give the listeners an idea on how much federal tax comes in and maybe how much state tax comes in for just the keeping the uh, roads up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, so whether you're talking about the state level or the federal federal level, our tax dollars that go to transportation are protected uh, at the at the federal level. They're in a highway trust fund that is not part of the general fund. At the state level, uh, there are various programs that are all protected. They can't be used for other purposes, but the problem is uh, they need to grow, uh, and uh, the the levels of funding that exist today are not sufficient. Um, we're a little bit different in the Bay Area in terms of how much federal dollars come here uh, to support our needs. Uh, Most um, uh, regions uh, get most of their uh, transportation funding from the federal formula shares that come to them. In the Bay Area, we're uh, between 9 and 12 percent. So it's a relatively small share uh, of the transportation investment that we need in the Bay Area and that we use in the Bay Area comes from the the feds. Uh, We generate a lot here on our own. Uh, We have uh, county, uh, a region rather, that's full of self-help counties. Uh, All of our counties are are taxing themselves on an annual basis, uh, sales tax and some other revenue streams to help create new transportation improvements uh, around the region. And we have a state uh, state sources and state opportunities that are growing, uh, never more so than this last legislative session when uh, the legislature approved new funding can for you, transportation. Can you give the viewers uh, approximately what is that amount of revenue that comes in yearly that is supposed to be put into this trust fund that's going to... Uh take care of the uh, infrastructure? Well, it's not quite as simple uh, as that. You would, you'd be doing a lot of math uh, to try and get just a total number uh, of, of investment that comes in yearly. There are transit programs, there are highway programs, there are multimodal discretionary programs, there are, are bike and pedestrian programs, and the amount that they each uh, generate varies each year depending on the revenue sources that go to support those programs. So uh, we're talking about billions and billions of dollars um, uh, that are 
coming to the region from the, at the federal level and the state level. Uh, and it just depends uh, on any given year what uh, the size of those respective programs what is the What would it be approximately? How do they, like, uh, that those funds come in and we're in San Mateo County as an example um, do how does San Carlos or Redwood City? How do they? Is it based on their population? Is it based on their the uh, amount of mileage? How how do they base the amount of funds that's going to go to an individual city? Well, or is there's, it, there's different equations for different types of money. Uh, so depending on the color of money, um, the 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 equation differs. Um, for transit money, it's based on ridership and vehicle miles and population. Uh, there are different. Uh, programs that are based on each one of those uh, metrics. Um, for uh, highway money, it comes into the region and the region, what's called the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. There are um, our, our funding agency around the region and they sub-allocate those dollars to counties and cities based on formulas and also based on some discretion. So they have the ability to move some of those dollars around and give more to San Mateo County if San Mateo County has uh, increased needs in any given budget year. There's some flexibility there in how all of it is. Well, I feel very fortunate that I'm here. My dad would be honored because my dad was with the state of California in the information division. He was a highway engineer for 38 years for the state of California. But he would have some good questions on that. Um, with that said, let's, let's kind of get into the forms of public transportation and just some information that I've read and some information I've heard from other people. One of the, one of the things that uh, we've been seeing a lot of uh, write-up on is the Samtram's bus system ridership is down. Um, it, do, you, do you agree with that? It's absolute. Well, it's not a matter of whether you agree with it or not. It is down, okay. uh, and transit ridership is down nationwide. Uh, we are a little bit more efficient in San Mateo County than the other systems are generally around the the nation. Even though our ridership is down, uh, we've been using our dollars a little bit more efficiently, and our ridership is spread out a little bit more efficiently across our routes than it is on some other services around the country. But uh, there's no question it's down. Uh, and it's down for a lot of different reasons. Um, there are we're more affluent in San Mateo County than we ever have been uh, uh, today. Salaries have grown uh, pretty exponentially over the last five to ten years, um, and the Samtrans bus service, our market is largely three quarters of, of folks are lower income, uh, and and our bus service is their only mobility option. Uh, it's what they use to get to their jobs, to get to schools, to get to appointments. They don't have access to a car. Well, as, as the county's uh, grown in terms of wealth and salaries, uh, more people in this county than ever before are able to afford a car. Uh, and they're also able to afford to take Uber and Lyft instead of a bus to meet their mobility needs. And there's no question that those services, transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft, are eating into public transit ridership, especially in a place like our county. Well, you know, it, it's fascinating that you bring that. A lot of the uh, conversations I've had with the public or conversations I've had with some of the mayors, we kind of quantified, too, and maybe we don't have a complete handle on Maybe you have the answer. Um, your Visa, your Oracle, your Facebook, and your Google are all doing a lot of carpooling, and their carpooling is these nice buses or limousines, if you want to call them, with internet and maybe even food on there. So what do you, do you have an idea what percentage is, is probably affected the uh, Sam Trams in that? Because I, I don't even know how many buses are out there. I did speak with one of the executives for Visa in Foster City, and I'm, I'm trying to get a meeting with her to talk about it. But she says you cannot believe the contributions that these companies are providing for public transportation. Well, I don't think that any of those private corporate shuttles are eating into Samtrans ridership. Uh, we have we, we serve a different market, and those uh, co private corporate shuttles are really doing what the single occupied vehicles uh, used to do. They're doing what Caltrain does, and Caltrain's doing just fine, uh, as everybody probably knows. Caltrain ridership has been increasing pretty 
pretty regularly. Our, those trains are packed. There's an under, unserved market there that we need, and we need to expand capacity on Caltrain to be able to take advantage of it. Uh, thank God those private corporate shuttles are here, uh, because if all of those people were either trying to drive their own cars to work or were trying to pack into our Caltrain trains, we'd have a real problem today. Um, uh, that we think that we need to uh, take advantage of some of the willingness that some of those commuters have to using those express buses, those private corporate shuttles as a commute alternative, and give uh, some of the companies that don't offer that amenity to their employees the ability to use public transit to, uh, to make that trip. If we had express buses uh, that are public transit buses that are serving uh, some of the employers that don't have uh, that as an, an amenity for their employees, we know their employees would take advantage of it. We've, we've done surveys that show that as much as 30% of the employees that drive alone today uh, would rather take an express bus as an option if it's available. Well, I live in a unique city, uh, Foster City, and uh, we are kind of the uh, east-west situation, the corridor off 101 and 92. Um, I had an opportunity to speak with Rick Bonilla, the mayor, of, of the city of San Mateo, and I, I challenged him to something. One of the things that, from my experience of living in 26 years in Foster City and knowing quite a few people, there is no commuter lane um, that, that actually gets people to, to the train. Um, and one of the things with knocking on uh, quite a few doors over the years and meeting different people of different backgrounds and technology and engineering and biochem and all that kind of stuff, they all indicated that they would take, a, uh, they would take the train without a problem um, so I was trying to encourage, and I'm just asking your opinion. Um, I would like to see at a certain time between Hillsdale Boulevard to San Mateo that we have a commuter lane area for people that are, want to take the train. Yeah, you know, I think the, that with when it comes to commuter lanes on the highway, express lanes, which is what I think you're talking about, uh, one of our goals should be to reduce traffic congestion. The other goal should be to expand transit ridership. And that's what you're really saying is make it easier for people to use the train uh, and make it easier for people to take transit, make it more enticing and incentivize people to take transit. And you can't do that if your transit is just as slow as your single occupied vehicle and you you might be on a bus, but you're waiting in traffic like everybody else. Uh, one of the benefits of express lanes is that you uh, can can uh, allow people to get on a, a bus, an express bus, and that bus is going to get them from point A to point B a whole lot faster than they would in their single occupied vehicle. We know that people take Caltrain today because it's faster than sitting on 101 in a car. Uh, if I can get on the train in San Francisco and get to San Carlos or Redwood City in 25 minutes, there's no way you're doing that uh, at rush hour in a single occupied vehicle. So giving people the ability to, to have that same travel time advantage in a alternative mode of transportation, like a bus that's a little bit more nimble it can, and can be, and be more flexible and go to new places, we absolutely need to do more of that. And we're looking at expanding uh, our express bus services around San Mateo County to help take advantage of that market because we know it's a target market for us. Okay, for the audience, and I know you're pretty familiar with it, um, we, we've got some plans right now, um, which is working on 92 uh, for express lanes and other lanes and traffic. Can you tell the audience what you think that may help with public transit, or do you think there's some other things that they may do there that would make it a, a smoother transition? Because the public is pretty much uh, not aware of what's really going on, but just looks like more expansion of making more lanes off 92, dropping it all down on El Camino. So can you talk a little bit about that master plan with the politicians and, uh, and, and Caltrans and everybody's working on there off 92 and any of the other ones down here too? Yeah, uh, you know, 92-101, is a, it's a bottleneck, uh, and it's probably the principal bottleneck in this county, and it's going to become more of a problem as our workers continue to shift to the East Bay. Uh, people driving in to San Mateo County from the East Bay is a major reason why our freeways and highways are congested today. And I wouldn't just count it as 92. That You also have the Dumbarton Corridor where 
on 84, where uh, traffic is increasing probably faster than any other area in the county. Um, 92101, that interchange has to be improved. There's some alternatives for improving it to increase traffic flow and to make it easier for our public transit options to transition through uh, those interchanges, which will increase ridership on transit and will help incentivize congestion reducing alternatives for a lot of drivers. We don't know which one, which one of those alternatives is best yet. That's is there anything that you can share with us that they're thinking about, or is that top secret right now? Is well, there no, there's express lanes uh, that would uh, be added to 92, uh, expansion of the lanes uh, on the, the on and off ramps uh, connecting 92 and 101. Uh, there's a whole range of options, but there's a lot of different alternatives for accomplishing that goal. What we need is uh, a traffic study and an environmental impact uh, study to determine which one of the alternatives should be our preferred alternative. And then we need to move forward with that. But even before we know which alternative is best, there's funding in place to address that specific interchange, that specific problem in uh, Regional Measure 3, which will be before voters in June uh, of this year. We have $50 million in there to uh, as initial seed money uh, to help uh, uh, complete that improvement and improve congestion on 101 and 92. Well, you know, you've mentioned something. I know you know the, the uh, statistics better than I do. What is the percentage of single drivers that are only going probably not more than 20 or 30 miles? Well, it's a, I don't know the percentage of total population that are or, driving. Or no, the actual single. drivers on the road. Yeah, I don't know that either. Okay. Uh, I don't know that statistic, but it uh, it's a huge number. Uh, but the good news is, it, it like I said, uh, the working age population uh, has shown a greater willingness than they ever have for using transit as an alternative, getting out of their single occupied vehicle, and in some cases, not even owning a vehicle in the first place and using transit as their first priority for all of their mobility needs. We need to take advantage of that shift in paradigm and provide these uh, folks with the services that we know they want to take advantage of if they're just available. Okay, now, when, you know, I had the opportunity to have you speak at a symposium in Foster City in San Mateo, and you, you did an extremely good job, and you had some pretty good questions that came from the audience. What do you think, um, one of the things that if you think the East and West situation is not really handled as well, especially if you live in San Mateo or you live in Foster City um, with the connections, is there anything that you think can uh, improve that East-West connection? Aside from the comment that I made earlier that we need maybe a commuter lane uh, to get people to public transportation, we have a bottleneck there. Yeah, I, mean, I, th I think the east-west uh, connection, it's, it's a really tough question because uh, you don't exactly have the ridership there to support a really robust transit route or transit connection. Um, and so the subsidy that's required to operate uh, a robust transit system for the east-west connections is really expensive. It's a huge subsidy that's required to keep something like that going. Uh, what we need to do there is really explore partnerships with some of these transportation network companies or uh, look at micro transit options, which is a short way of saying more better on-demand, um, smaller, uh, more nimble uh, transit vehicles that can be more responsive to community concerns. But if I can, um, if we can look at piloting, for example, a transit route that goes in east and west today and taking that 40-foot bus off of that route uh, because there's only a few riders and instead giving those riders a uh, the opportunity to take an Uber or a Lyft for that same fare that they would have paid for a transit service, uh, that's something we need to look at. We need to start to explore some of those types of pilot programs and do some experimenting to see how we can improve east-west connections, make it, more, uh, make it work for more people so that they're not getting in their car and driving. They're looking at, at Uber and Lyft car pool opportunities or micro transit opportunities and using that instead of their single occupied vehicle. But I'll tell you the biggest thing we can do in San Mateo County to improve, reduce congestion at the local level for people who are driving east and west and clogging our streets and our east and west thoroughfares is to look at parking in San Mateo County. We have a lot of cheap, uh, free, forget cheap, we have a lot of free parking uh, anywhere you want to go uh, in San Mateo County. At all of our major destinations, you can pretty much find somewhere to park for free. And as long as that's the case, 
people are going to drive uh, instead of taking transit. The reason why uh, big cities have a lot of transit riders, like in San Francisco, is because they know that they can't drive themselves and find an easy, cheap place to park on the other end. In San Mateo County, you can absolutely find that anywhere you want to look. Okay, now, you know, that, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, as you well know, I think they're going to increase the parking cost for BART. Um, and I, I think there's some limited studies that show, because the cost of ridership of BART has gone up, that people pencil out that number and by the time they park. So uh, do you think that's a practical idea? And, and I understand from a budgetary uh, aspect, like the Golden Gate Bridge wants to increase their fares because of maintenance of the, the bridge. Do you think that's a practical idea? Um, at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Not just for uh, for budget purposes, but um, to encourage people to uh, use a, find a first and last mile solution to and from a major transit network like BART that is not driving alone. Um, I think on Caltrain especially, we've seen more and more people choosing bike, pedestrian, carpool, shuttle options for getting to and from our Caltrain stations. That number is growing really, really rapidly. And we should take advantage of that and, uh, and, and incentivize uh, that option instead of people driving to a station and, and parking. And one of the ways that you can do that is uh, by making parking more expensive. Uh, and it also has the benefit of helping uh, tra struggling transit agency balance their budget every year. Okay. I want you to step outside of your comfort zone for a minute, and we're going to talk about some ideas that came, came not just from myself but other people. We have a north and south corridor that is heavily trafficked, uh, and that's early in morning hours uh, to maybe up to 7, 8 o'clock at night for people commuting in both directions, north and south. You're talking about 101? 101, yeah, yeah 101. What about on, on 101, since some of those people that, if you really, if, when you think of we're just, uh, it's a linear a aspect, why not uh, have a people mover or something where somebody was, would be specifically designed for, for bike lanes or specifically designed for electric bikes or specifically designed as a people mover? Because some of those people can move a lot quicker if they had some kind of other vehicle or people mover that would take them the five or 10 miles by either riding a bike or uh, just a, something that moves them a little bit quicker. Any ideas on that? Does yeah. Make it? I mean, I think, I, I think whether it's 101 or probably more realistically El Camino, um, there's a absence of um, a dedicated uh, right of way that would cater to our uh, bicycle and pedestrian uh, folks. And, um, and, uh, we need to we need to figure out a way to make uh, to make it easier for people to use bicycles to get to work, uh, and creating a, a dedicated uh, thoroughfare for them, a dedicated right away for them, wherever it is, is going to going to entice people to use that as an option instead of a of, instead of a vehicle. So it's absolutely something we should be incentivizing. Here's one: um, uh, San Jose a number of years ago. Um, did an experiment and they wanted to get people out of their cars and the downtown area down there, um, some good and bad about it. They, they were able to, because in certain areas downtown, you can't really drive. You have to take the public transportation or the bus that's, that loops into it. So there's yeah. no parking. So in some ways it, it helped them and in other ways it hurt them because some of the office buildings were vacant for a long time because if it was a dental office or it was a law office or an insurance office, it was near impossible for their customers to get to them. So even though it was thought out to, to limit the cars down there, they really need to have, like what you were mentioning earlier, some kind of connection to it. Um, one idea, and I think Walt Disney had the right idea, it would seem that you could do a monorail system on El Camino. And the reason why I suggest that, that can drop off to the train, it could even even get you to BART. So if you had a monorail system, it could even drop you off to the electric bikes. Um, so if we really thought outside of the box a little bit more, and your point is well taken, we're not really connecting all the transportations together. Because what we do is we have Caltrain over here, we have BART over there, uh, and, we, and then you brought up the idea of, of these pilot programs. Uh, Foster City and San Mateo worked with a private uh, program called Scoop, and I know you're familiar with Scoop. Um, both cities uh, bought into it, 
and I and I think it was a good idea. It was trying to do carpooling. I'm not sure what, how successful they were, but I know that the cities now are not. They're working with them through your other program here, and that's the commuter.org. You want to talk about a little bit about that? Uh, well, yeah, the, there's a sort of a lot to unpack there, but uh, uh, just give us a kind of overview for yeah, it. Yeah, what what your van pools and carpools are not a new idea. Uh, Scoop is a is a is a carpool service, and uh, these are not new ideas. But what makes them what's new about them is that are the technologies that are making them more feasible, more viable, and easier to use uh, for a lot of commuters and for the people who are providing um, the van pools and the carpools in the in the first place. There's actually a financial incentive that these technologies are able to provide to them to expand the availability of those services. And that's great. It's going to make those more effective commute and traffic congestion alternatives for uh, uh, that are going to help solve uh, traffic problems on in our communities and on, and on our highways and local streets and roads. So uh, these are things we need to embrace, we need to encourage. I'm glad to see cities uh, uh, using commute.org to establish those partnerships and promote and expand those opportunities. Um, there's always a subsidy that's going to be uh, required when you talk about providing shuttle connections, transit connections, and especially if you're talking about building additional capital projects like a monorail uh, would be uh, that's traveling north and south along uh, El Camino or any other corridor. Now, uh, I'm not sure if monorail is the best solution, but I do know that we have an opportunity and a $2 billion initial investment in upgrading the Caltrain corridor or electrifying that corridor and increasing the frequency of that service in every community that we serve and reducing the travel time uh, between uh, our most popular origins and destinations on the Caltrain line. And that's absolutely critical to uh, making sure that we're addressing congestion in, a, in an effective way. Uh, we have to expand capacity on Caltrain, and we're going to do that uh, when we electrify. We'll increase capacity by over 30% on Caltrain when we open the when we cut the ribbon on electrification in 2022. Can you give us, a, can you give us oh, 20, uh, 2022? 2022, okay. and, we, and we'll increase it by much more than that when we fully convert that fleet to electric trains. Uh, our, our $2 billion buys us the electrification of the corridor and buys us the 75% conversion of that fleet to electric trains. Uh, we have, uh, we're hoping, fingers crossed, that we'll get good news next month from the state uh, uh, for a grant program that we applied for to fully convert our fleet to electric trains and to run eight car trains uh, in 2022 instead of six car trains. If we can do that, we're going to dramatically increase the capacity of the service and also provide cities, communities, commuters with that improved frequency. If we do that, you don't need a monorail anymore. You just got an upgrade in the frequency of your Caltrain service and a reduction in the travel time and how long it's going to take you to well, get to Well, let's go back to, you know, I, I agree with you there, and I'm excited about that. But still, one of the major core problems we have is to get the people to get to Caltrain, um, depending on what city you live in. It, you know, and obviously in the city that I live in, in Foster City, it's rather difficult to make sure you get out at that early, early, you, you almost have to take the 5.30 or 6.30 in the morning train um, in order to be able to get out of Foster City early. But if you're not out by those times, you're not able to take that train. You mean the bus? Yeah. Or the bus. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, and the way to do that, you're talking about first, last mile connections. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is through uh, the improved bicycle and pedestrian connections, the uh, Uber and Lyft partnerships that will let people use Uber and Lyft as a first and last mile connections, the employer-sponsored shuttles that we already have a lot of today, um, and building more TOD next to our transit stations and our transit hubs so that people who are using transit as a primary option uh, will be living uh, next to those transit connections instead of driving uh, to those transit connections. We know, because uh, it's worked in the East Bay, uh, that as soon as you put up uh, a lot of multifamily housing, you have people take it, taking advantage of those opportunities right away, and they guess that maybe the percentage of the people living in those communities who are actually using the transit services might be about 30%. They're seeing much closer to 60% of the people who are living there using transit as their primary 
primary option. Those are people that could people that could be living in single family homes uh, in other cities somewhere and driving to work every day, but they're choosing to live close to transit because transit works for them and makes their commute easier. And when that happens, it makes all of our commute easier too. People who are driving every day are going to see less congestion. Okay. Well, I think that kind of leads into the the the, uh, the bigger uh, challenge that we have in front. Currently in the uh, San Mateo County, uh, we have a Clipper card. You want to talk a little bit about the Clipper card? Well, Clipper card is a, uh, we were sort of the pioneers uh, in the Bay Area. There weren't a, a lot of other regional uh, fare cards. And now regional fare cards are the norm uh, in any major metropolitan area. And Clipper has become kind of a dinosaur. Uh, it's really hard uh, to have a regional fare system that works for dozens of different transit agencies who all have their own unique fare structure uh, and their own unique fare systems. But it's, it, it's essential to providing customers with a better experience where they don't have to use a bunch of different fare products to pay for Caltrain versus VTA versus Muni versus AC Transit versus BART. Having one central payment system is essential. Clipper uh, is not the perfect solution, but it has served a good purpose. Uh, it's not as nimble as we would like it to be. We can't offer every product that we would want to offer uh, on uh, on Clipper, uh, but uh, but the next version of Clipper is in the works. Um, it's uh, one of the drawbacks of the current Clipper card is that it's not a mobile application, and all of a sudden, mobile apps and paying for your transit services and just about everything else using your phone uh, is has become the norm. Uh, we need our region uh, fare system to catch up with that, and I know the next version of Clipper will uh, include a mobile application and mobile ticketing uh, across all of our transit systems as uh, a piece of the functionality. Right. As, as mentioned, and I know we had the discussion in Foster City, we really don't have a regional transit district. What we do is we have um, ABAG, or we may have some other uh, Bay Area groups meaning SAM trams and uh, Caltrains and BART, communicating but not really communicating as effectively as we can. Do you think that, um, in, in, with talking with, with some of the mayors, at least 10 of the mayors so far, predominantly some of them really wanted to see something, a regional solving the problem um, and addressing it at the tables. And when I quantify that before you answer it, I think the, the thing that we're seeing the push like Facebook. Facebook is willing to put some money up for the Dumbarton Bridge. Okay. Do you think we can somehow um, organize a regional transit? Because whether it's Caltrains or whether it's BART, they're all fighting for similar tax dollars, which is based on ridership. So in, as opposed to um, all fighting for the same thing, can we act more regionally and put a regional transit district together? You know, we, we do a pretty good job uh, regionally in terms of cooperation and sharing uh, uh, funding opportunities. A lot of these this funding is formula, so you don't really have the, um, the competition that you might think that you do. But even when we have our um, biggest needs, Caltrain Electrification is a good example. That's a $2 billion project. It uh, required a nine-party MOU, and there were multiple transit agencies involved in, the, uh, in collecting and and uh, building the funding plan for that project, VTA included, uh, Muni in San Francisco included, and even BART, who uh, gave us some of their uh, Prop 1A connectivity funding. They didn't have to do that. They recognized that was a, this was an important priority, and they did it. Um, so there is a lot of cooperation that takes place there on the funding side. What we need is more cooperation on the service and operation side, things like time transfers and making sure that you don't have to wait uh, for a long time when you're transferring between systems, there's a lot of room for improvement there. And I think you're going to see that when we electrify Caltrain because we have services on either end that are very frequent, like Muni, like BART, um, at Milbrae, like uh, soon to be BART at uh, Diridon Station in San Jose, uh, a Caltrain rail system that just uh, uh, stops once an hour at some of those connections, once or twice an hour, is not going to compare to BART that's running really, really frequent every 7 to 15 minute service. But an electrified Caltrain that operates at those service frequencies can make much better connections to these other highly frequent transit services on the ends. Okay. It's going to really ring 
in the Bay Area with high-quality mass transit uh, for the first time ever uh, in the history of the of the region. Okay, I want to kind of put you on the spot for a minute, um, and it's great you brought up the connection. I, I had a wonderful opportunity to interview uh, Mayor Gina Pappen, and, and she was real passionate about transportation, um, and that was one of the major reasons why she voted against the proposal which passed in, in uh, right next to the bar station. But she brought up two real important questions, and um, one of them that she said, uh, brought up was the cleaning of the tracks. And apparently she says those tracks give off a lot of noise and stuff that they haven't been cleaned in a long time. And then number two, um, she was concerned uh, ab- ab- about why are, are the connection to the airport not used, utilized it, because that is kind of a hub, um, and it should be probably, I'm just guessing, probably every 15 minutes or every 30 minutes, because it is the main corridor for the peninsula if you take BART or get into the train to get into the airport. Um, and I know you can't solve BART's problems. Uh, can we lean on them a little bit more to to make that connection better because I think that's a pivotal point right there. Yeah, there's a co- there's a couple of things there. One, uh, and I'll I'll speak uh, my best on behalf of Bart, but I know uh, because I know some of the struggles that they go through are the same struggles that we go through. Um, what, the reason why some of those tracks are loud is because uh, of state of good repair uh, deficiencies in their in in, in funding. Um, we're too often faced with the the decision between operating service and and uh, and making sure that our service is in a state of good repair. Caltrain is a good example. Uh, we have enough money to we don't have enough money to make to fully fund our operations and also uh, make sure that our trains are operating in a way so that they never break down. And so what that means is our trains are going to break down sometimes. For BART, it means the tracks might be louder than they should be sometimes. Uh, if they had more money uh, to be able to maintain those tracks, if we had more money to maintain our vehicles, you wouldn't have loud tracks, you wouldn't have vehicles that break down as frequently as you do. Uh, but taking the money and out of operations and using it for maintenance is going to mean cuts to operations. So that false decision that we're forced to make every year between operations and repair and maintenance is a real problem. And uh, the, the only way to solve it is to make sure we have enough funding do, to do both. Uh, and that funding needs to be share, a shared responsibility between the feds, the region, the state, and our local government. Uh, and there's opportunities, like I mentioned, that we have to increase funding at all levels there. Um, for the airport, um, there's no question that that dosi do that you have to do when you're trying to transfer between Caltrain to BART and get to the airport is an unacceptable way to operate service to the airport. Uh, we need to figure out a way to take advantage of that system. The tracks are in place. The right-of-way is in place. Let's use it. Let's expand uh, BART service to the airport so people can make that connection more directly instead of having to backtrack and go to San Bruno and then transfer to the SFO uh, train. Um, That's not the way it should work. If people are looking for an immediate uh, alternative who are coming from uh, the south part of San Mateo County, and that's really who this affects, I would encourage them to look at our SamTrans service. We have SamTrans buses that will get you from any city in central or southern San Mateo County and get you to the airport faster than you can do it if you're driving and parking in long-term parking at the airport, cheaper uh, than parking in long-term parking in the, at the airport, and you'll do it faster on transit than you will trying to transfer from Caltrain to BART. Uh, it's really an undiscovered um, mm. transit connection that people, as we're coming into travel season this summer, should be looking closely at. Well, I think that's something you should promote because obviously the most of the uh, riders are, are probably drivers now be, because of that lack of connect, you know, connecting and making it a smoother transaction. This kind of goes back to what we just talked about earlier. Um, and, and I greatly appreciate what you're, you're explaining to the, everybody out there is, is that everybody is trying to maintain their own system, whether it's a BART or whether it's Caltrain's. But from an efficiency standpoint, it seems that we still are not regionally connecting. Um, and I'm not sure, I don't believe in a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of organization, but it still feels that we're, we're so acting independently and not together. Is there any, in, in your imagination, if you you had a magic wand and, and you had a wish to to 
put something together. Do you think that a transit district could really benefit um, benefit San Mateo County and Santa Clara County? Well, I think it would need to be bigger than that, because uh, if you're just looking at those two counties, uh, we already have just a couple of transit districts that serve those counties and one regional uh, Caltrain system that serves those counties and is consolidated into one administrative unit. Uh, but there's no question that if we were building the Bay Area transit uh, system from scratch, you wouldn't say, okay, what we need is 16 different bus agencies and four different rail agencies, and let's have them all use different payment systems and different fare cards. We would never do it that way. You'd be crazy. Uh, but what what we are, are challenged with now is that that's the way it's been developed. So how do we consolidate those different systems and services in the most effective way without losing the local control that a lot of our cities and counties uh, uh, desire, uh, because there will be that trade-off. If you go with a centralized regional transit operator, uh, you will have some efficiencies, you'll realize some efficiencies, you'll get some uh, benefits on the service side, but it might mean that the train doesn't stop in Belmont as often as it does today. It might mean that the bus service is not running as many east-west connections as it does today, and those are some of the biggest complaints that we get even today. So we need to be careful about how we uh, about what compromises we're willing to make when it comes to larger regional consolidation. You know, I think that's kind of well said, and it kind of goes back to the forefront of the growth of the Bay Area is technology, biotech and all that other type of stuff. And I I would think, as we're seeing with Facebook uh, and we probably were going to see it with uh, Google and Microsoft, that we could actually partner with them to come up with some more funding because um, your main main discussion here is really evident that that we're limited with funds with federal and state and we're limited with somebody fighting for that tax dollar which my understanding and tell me if I'm different it, it's based on your population it's based on your ridership and based on usage so that formula is to my understanding probably outdated mm-hmm. Um, and I think you spoke to that earlier when you said, well, I think we need to upgrade our environmental impact reports, which affect it. So how can we build on um, or does build on more partnerships with those other groups? Because obviously, if they had some funding, because we're limited here with the federal and state money that we've gotten, so much is allocated for BART, so much for Caltrains, so much for Samtrams, our hands are tied behind our back and we can't do so. And again, I, I know you're only speaking for yourself. Um, do, do you think that we can, we can, we need to continue to foster better and bigger partnerships with these other organizations that are or companies that are impacting uh, the Bay Area? Yeah, I mean, not only do I think we need to, I think that what you just touched on is really the next era of uh, of transportation investment, and probably goes beyond transportation. But um, in the area of transportation, there's no question that we have a unprecedented, unique opportunity in this region, especially, to take advantage of the public-private opportunities that are out there. And we just had a federal uh, transportation proposal from uh, this administration that wants to turn $200 billion into $1.5 trillion through public-private partnerships. Not many areas are going to be able to do that, but if there's an area that can, it's ours. And we've already seen some of our largest tech company partners uh, pay to complete the studies for uh, managed lanes on 101, pay to complete the studies for the Dumbarton Corridor, transit and highway traffic congestion relief solutions that are out there. There's no question that the next step in that process is to have uh, these private uh, entities help pay for the capital improvements that we need to make. That's where the real dollars are needed, and I believe that we will see some significant movement on that very soon, and it'll, it'll be reason to celebrate. Okay. Now, how are we going to get – I mean, the, the, the biggest problem is, is, uh, is the single driver. Um, is still a high percentage of people out there not taking public transportation. So I think the partnerships are the, are, are making the much more available so that it, it, it goes when they need to take it. Make it faster, make it more frequent, and make it less expensive. Those are the things that are, that are going to get the single-occupied driver to change their behavior. And we've seen it on Caltrain. 
I think we'll see it uh, with the bus system as soon as we have these express lanes in place that will allow bus travel times to be faster uh, than what people get in a car. And we know people are looking for ways to save money, and that's why they try and uh, take carpool, use carpool opportunities if we can make those things easier uh, for them to, to use. And we can through the technologies that are out there today. So I think we're all the, tool, the tools are gradually uh, becoming more and more available to us, and it's, it's up to us to uh, be responsible managers of the taxpayer dollars that we have and utilize them more effectively. What about the super bullet train? Uh, do you have any comments on that? Do you think it's going to happen? Or uh, well, Obviously, we've had some challenges on the peninsula here and um, certain cities not wanting it or not wanting it either above ground or underground. Well, I don't or, think we're the challenge on the peninsula. Okay. I think we're I think we're doing pretty well on the peninsula. We've electrified Caltrain, which will eventually um, allow uh, high speed rail to serve our communities here on the peninsula and get to San Francisco. There's going to be some other improvements that are needed, but electrification is a key part of what's needed. Um, the uh, high speed rail authority just announced uh, a couple weeks ago that they want to electrify the corridor south of San Jose to Gilroy. That's not a corridor that we own, uh, but we would love it electrified because it would allow us to extend Caltrain electrification south to Gilroy and capture that growing market uh, down in the South Bay. Uh, traffic is terrible down there. Uh, Caltrain should be part of the solution to that problem. Uh, the problem with the high-speed rail project continues to be the Central Valley uh, piece of the puzzle and uh, the uh, challenge of coming up with the overall investment that's needed to complete that project. But I think their approach um, of uh, funding that larger statewide project in a way that creates immediate improvements to existing regional systems like Caltrain is the right approach, and we can see it working right now because we're electrifying Caltrain with a third of the investment coming from that statewide project. Should BART be expanded? Should BART be expanded all the way down to uh, San Jose? How far should BART be expanded, or do you see any opportunity for BART? I think BART should. I think there are places where BART needs to be expanded. San Jose and Santa Clara are absolutely uh, on that list because they'll provide the connection to Caltrain um, that is needed. Uh, and uh, there are obviously growing communities in the deep East Bay and traffic congestions that are emerging because of the growth that's happening there. And BART could be an essential part of the answer to those problems as well. Okay, Redwood City um, and actually Foster City too were talking about doing some uh, ferry boats or hybrid uh, uh, transit systems. Do you think, uh, is there any studies that you guys have looked at and feasibility of uh, picking up people and, and from Redwood City or down there uh, as far as and bringing them into San Francisco? Does well, it make any sense? For San Mateo County, absolutely. It's a, it's a if you build it, we will come scenario. Right. Uh, and if you have some ferry terminals in Redwood City and if the ferry service in South San Francisco uh, uh, really takes off and we think that it, that it could, um, then it's on us uh, to provide those passengers with a connection to their final destination. We don't want them, we want them to be able to have a shared ride solution once they get off of the ferry terminal. If they're not getting on a bike uh, or walking, uh, to their place of employment, then they should be getting uh, on a bus or a shuttle and getting there. Well, I would encourage you guys to reach out to Larry Ellison because I'm pretty sure Larry Ellison would, would love to somehow connect that system for him. It would be nice for Oracle, it would be nice for Larry Ellison, and it would be great for the Bay Area. Have you guys reached out to him at all? Uh, we've we've got uh, a lot of uh, private sector partners, and we engage with them through their associations like SAMCEDA, who has the Peninsula Mo Mobility Group that is focused exclusively on traffic solutions and transportation solutions in this county. Uh, Oracle is a major partner uh, in that group, and so, uh, yes, we do communicate with all of those employers like Oracle and others who are interested in that. Okay, well, this is an opportunity for you to take some time since you've been uh, – uh, working here. What do you feel uh, you'd like to brag about a little bit that you've, you've accomplished since you've been here? Well, I think the obviously um, uh, the Caltrain uh, improvements that we're on the cusp of uh, implementing are um, uh, 
are, are one of the biggest things that is uh, has ever and w- and maybe will ever happen uh, in San Mateo County and the region transportation-wise. Uh, you might remember that those funds were in question uh, and were on the chopping block uh, about a year ago now, uh, and the degree of difficulty in uh, securing those funds, preserving those funds, especially in these tough political times, um, there were a lot of people that thought it couldn't be done. Uh, and uh, the fact that we were able to do that showed how how effective we can be as a county and as a region when we work together uh, towards a common goal. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of that uh, coming up uh, when we have when we look at our major highway improvements that are on the cusp of happening and the expansion of our commuter rail system and growth of our transit capacity opportunities uh, that are on the horizon, including the extension of transit across the bay on the Dumbarton corridor. There's uh, there, the the next big thing is not too far uh, along on the horizon. We're looking forward to. Well, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, Seamus, I wanted to thank you for taking the opportunity. You've been a tough guy to track down, but I'm glad I had the opportunity to speak with you. And I'm pretty sure my listeners are going to enjoy hearing your conversation. Uh, do you have an email address or a something that, that you might let the uh, viewers out there or the listeners uh, uh, get more information about what's happening on the peninsula? Yeah, uh, absolutely. But glad to be here, uh, and thanks for uh, thanks for tracking me down. It's a really important topic, and we want to make sure that uh, that our residents in the county know. Uh, how uh, their uh, how to improve transportation and how they can be involved. Uh, I would encourage them to go to getusmovingsmc.com and tell us about their priorities and let their voices be heard so we can include that in our decision making. Thanks again, Seamus. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.